all right my hands smell like pickles so <laughs> i'm gonna have to wash them um <laughs> for context uh nope. while we were getting this all no nope. no context <laughs> no your okay, hands then. smell like pickles um, Welcome to That's Left Unsupervised, everybody, uh, where I am being held hostage by Wild Panda over there, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> and we're going to talk about whatever the heck we want to talk about. Um, I'm Scarf. Uh, yeah, I see. If I'm not allowed to talk about my pickle hands, um, then I guess we should just get right into it. Let's do it. Uh, <laughs> I believe you have some some spicy steels. As we like to go. Oh. Synonyms. <laughs> you, pulled, you pulled a thesaurus out. Was, you got me genuinely confused. Uh, yeah. For translation, for anyone that doesn't speak um, that, uh, we're doing hot takes. Uh, so, hot takes. Um, we have a very hastily, well, not hastily. These are things that we've had in our minds. Um but just all before this all got started i've ranted to myself in the shower about these so many times before yeah i've had these thoughts before as well um <laughs> we've got three things here we basically we've got we know our audience we've got video games movies and music we're gonna give you a hot take we're each gonna talk about a hot take between the two of us about t- these three things and it's going to be a lovely lovely time and words are going to be shouted and gonna we're going to have to break up the podcast on episode <laughs> right <laughs> after we've made this whole thing episode three will be our reunion tour in like two months which is yeah. <laughs> we'll we break go. up after this and then so video <laughs> games we play a lot of those don't we we do in fact we do. i feel i've so the only ever time that i've been like actively confronted with my video game habits was uh so nintendo i used to play a lot of video games on the switch before i went off to college and built my own computer and everything um Mm -hmm. and so nintendo does this thing where at a year end uh it like shows you your various things it shows you like how long you've how many hours of video games you played um and i don't remember the specific number anymore mostly because i don't care uh to remember (laughs) that because it makes me feel bad um (laughs) And so all of that is to say that I do play a lot of video games. Do you have any experiences like that, Max, where you've been confronted with how many yeah, hours? Yeah, I've looked at played? my Terraria um, hour count before. <laughs> I've I've looked at the hours I've spent in Rocket League, been like, wow, that's shameful. And then realized I spent double that on the Xbox before I switched to PC. <laughs> um, I, I played Rainbow Six Siege and got good at that game. Um... <laughs> Which should go to say exactly how much, how many hours have been dumped in that. I played a MOBA, so I I am well aware of the confrontations of your hours spent wasted in front of a screen. All of that is to say, we are connoisseurs of the medium. Maybe not critics, but we sort of know what we're talking about. Sort of. Um, Which will... (laughs) Loosely. is is, Is a claim that will immediately get confronted thrown as, out the window as we both are going to be well confronted with how hot these takes are going to be so uh, which of us so, should go first <laughs> like you've played call of duty right or you know of the call of duty franchise i do know of the call of duty franchise i have played oh i played black ops on the ds <laughs> 
Um, 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 that is the only one that I, 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 I want this to be known. Uh, I, that is the only call of duty game that I have played extensively. Um, the other experiences that I've, that is, yeah, I know it's awful. Um, that game has I a wonderful that, obstacle course that I and my brother, my brother and I constantly quote because it's hilarious. <laughs> um, the deathmatch is a jank extravaganza. There are so many ways to get out of bounds on the various maps, and then you can just snipe people from wherever. But uh, I have also played both of the Black Ops, uh, if that's relevant. And I think that's, I think I might have played a few rounds of Modern Warfare 2 or 3. Um, not much. Uh, is this well, relevant to <laughs> your so hot take? I was not expecting that thorough of a response, but yes, <laughs> that, that, that works. Um, the reason why I bring that up, so there's, there's two divides that I have seen a lot in my gaming history. Now, there's a lot of people that lay in the middle, a lot of people that just like video games. For this, for this take, we need to acknowledge this extreme divide of prejudice and preference where they like to assume that the other side, it's like the Star Wars versus Trekkie, like fandoms i found a divide between people who play online multiplayer games and people who play like small indie games or like indie platformers stuff like that the best way i can think of it is people who are into hollow knight and people who are into call of duty interesting growing up especially on xbox yes like my, my friends on xbox they would either play two types of games they either only played call of duty rainbow six siege rocket league you know that was it right they only played those online multiplayer games or i would then have friends who only played like the single player games they played smaller games they played hollow knight they played dash type games they played you know Mm -hmm. even uh, typically dark souls would be mixed in there but that's not an indie game of course but you know they always played those like solo games that had really in-depth stories and those people i found in my experience liked to claim that they were better than Call of Duty players because Call of Duty is the same every year, you know, like it's every new iteration is the same type of game. Every game that you play is the same type of thing for that group. My hot take is that Call of Duty franchise has just much variety as your average new indie release every year. You had me and then you lost me (laughs) and then you had me again. And then you lost me. Um, Imagine Call of Duty. So, if every single game they completely reskinned the graphics, like completely new types of graphics, it wasn't this realistic themed looking thing every time. You went from okay your standard graphics to art graphics to pixel graphics to rough three D models, like completely reskinned the graphics every single game. Right. It would be the exact same difference. You the the reason behind this. <laughs> The reason that I say this is because first off, you have the Call of Duty story, which changes drastically throughout each iteration. A lot of my friends that play um, Call of Duty would play the stories. Changes not drastically, but it changes okay. well enough. Well, okay, no, I, I'm going to stop you right there because the yeah. divide that you made in the original like proposition of this argument was that it's you know people that play video games like the single player experiences and the multiplayer experiences and the campaigns of Call of Duty. I imagine 
as more single player experiences. I found my friends who played the multiplayer games to play a lot of the single player campaigns as well. And the people who only played the indie games, they only played the exclusively single player games would refuse to ever even download call of duty. No matter what. Fair enough. See small little thing. You should have asked me like if I just play multiplayer shooters in general, because yeah, I played the crap out of Titanfall, the original Titanfall, oh, when yeah. it first came out. Um, I adore Titanfall. I haven't played Titanfall 2, but I, I got disgustingly good. But at I, the I do Titanfall. specifically want to use Call of Duty, though, because Call of Duty, like Halo, people acknowledge as pretty variety type games, pretty good games. Um, <laughs> I have a hot take about Halo. Until the recent ones. But that's not the yeah, one that well, I'm, everybody does. That's not the it's, one that I'm going to talk about. Um, but Call of Duty especially gets a lot of flack. But my whole thing is I've played a large variety of those platformers, and all of them fall under the same sort of tropes for they're all that lost wanderer kind of hero in a foreign world. Um, mm-hmm. They all have very similar mechanics with maybe like one or two niche mechanics related to that game, which is the exact same as and I'm specifically talking like indie platformers here. They all have the exact indie same mechanics. Platformers, indie Metroidvania platformers. Where 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 is this line getting drawn? I want to say full encompassing. Okay. Of indie platformers in general. Okay. Okay. That's that's all right. They, Keep going. <laughs> the big noticeable difference is character names, graphics, and whatever single niche mechanic that game has. And if you put new graphics to Call of Duty and you made it and it kept and each new iteration was made by a different company. So it had different names for the characters and everything. It'd be kind of the same concept. All Call of Duty's had the same general core mechanics. They had a couple niche mechanics that completely did change the overall gameplay scheme. And same kind of thing where the plot would be slightly changed even in like multiplayer of call of duty the maps would be slightly different the the people that would play in them that's another thing is the the audience the players of these True. games changes True. how the game is played changes what the game is like so yeah i would fully argue that if you really boil it down to its core components and remove the fancy graphics and the different names if you actually do an analysis of the tropes behind a lot of the stories and the cores of the mechanics indie game indie platformers each new big indie platformer release is basically the same as the previous one so i feel like in order to refute your claim i would have to draw upon some game development experience that i do not have because (laughs) but like you're talking about just the use of tropes in general in works of media which i i don't want to say it's unavoidable but like I, I I don't know like it would it would it to me at least from my zero experience sort of background it seems like it would be nigh on impossible to create like in order to have a game that fits within a genre like platforming like what you've described you would need to have identifiable characteristics that fit into the platforming genre mm-hmm. and so I guess it just it's an argument of where the tropes that create a platforming game lie and where the ones that don't and are just there because they're and are so like 
I'm sure that there are certain tropes within like some of the ones that you identified, like lone wanderer in a world wakes up and he's like, what the hell yeah. going on? I mean, that is um, like 90% of what makes a platformer is you have to navigate through an unknown world that has complicated navigation and terrain. True. So true. that makes sense. But also I feel like that's, I, and the fact that it's I feel like that trope almost oh. just hones in the, the, that they're the same even more because the same things that call of duty falls under for its story I mean, those are pretty unavoidable to making a realistic themed shooter. And war never changes. Um, yeah, war never changes. <laughs> no, and neither um, apparently do war wander, lone wanderer indie I mean, games. Yeah, I feel like I don't want to say this because it'll make it me seem like a guy who's like, oh, just make a better game, which is not <laughs> how simple it is. But, like, but just make a at better times, game. At times, at times, like the lone wanderer trope in like you you noted that when you use the lone wanderer trope it's very much in service of like oh it's it's in service of an unknown world which is sort of to just create a link between the player and the character so that it's like well this is a world that i have no preconceived notions for you know when you see something new the character is also seeing something new like that sort of thing um and so that's not to say, but that's not the only way that you can have things. You can have worlds with pre-established characters who already know what the hell's going on. So, I don't, I don't know. Like, what, you're asking people who are coding video games to be better writers? Is that what you're asking? <laughs> I don't think I'm asking, because I don't think it's a problem. I don't, I don't say this because I think it's a problem that a lot of these indie games are the same. I mean, there's a reason why people who are into that community of any platformers love them so much is because since they have those similarities with just enough visual differences, you can still excel at the game in the same way. You can still have familiarity. You don't need to relearn a new game every single time, but you also get variety and substance um, in what appears to be the story with new names, new characters and new graphics. I don't think it needs to change. More so I pointed out for the audience of these games themselves to realize that they aren't that different because legitimately the <laughs> the judgment within gaming communities to other gaming communities is kind of obnoxious because it is very so you're just saying that, that gaming gamers are terrible and, people gamers are terrible saying? people <laughs> it's 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 impossible to argue that that's the real hot take have not the- brought <laughs> Games can bring together such wonderful communities and such weird groups of people together, and, and this they is such a dumb way that, it gets, that, that they get to- <laughs> torn apart because people like to have this argument, and people like to be better than other people because of the genres of games that they play. True. There's definitely a lot of elitism that goes on with all this stuff, especially with the multi- Like, I would say that my, like expertise with games mostly lies in the single player experiences i have played shooters before and i've i've gone into that sort of realm but that is not the crowd that i tend to hang around for too long i guess Mm. like (laughs) i don't know like that's just yeah so no i you have thoroughly convinced me i guess is this what the goal of the podcast is, I don't is to know convince one another to, of our hot takes. I don't think so, no. Because I feel like I my hot take get, for video games is, is, 
I feel like if that were the goal, it would be a little weird because Let, let's we hear talked it. Let's a little hear bit. It. Okay, so we talked a little bit about this beforehand. I just asked you if you had ever played either of these games. Yes, which I totally uh, have. Zelda One and Zelda Two. Yes. Um. So <laughs> I'm gonna be those honest. Those original. Though I have not played them, I probably have a better grasp of them than a lot of people who have played them. You think? How how do you figure that? Because Wait. there's a lot of people who have played them and played them so long ago because they're oh. such old games. I I still have a pretty good grasp on Is that like, your argument. Okay. I'm very involved in Zelda in general. Fair enough. Um and that that might be something that I'm like so but you you get the general differences between the two games, oh, right? 100%. Oh yeah, One I've seen plenty of video essay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. on which one's <laughs> oh. better. Oh, 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 so you're going to have more to say than I thought you would about this. So my hot take here is that I think that Zelda 2 is a better game than Zelda 1. I completely Um, agree with you from the experience of somebody who hasn't played it. Wait, actually? Yeah. (laughs) Are you being serious? Because like everyone, everyone that I know that's in the Zelda community or whatever, like, you know, YouTubers that do Zelda content or whatever, usually makes the like makes when they're making videos about this they usually write off zelda 2 as some sort of like just weird experiment that isn't cool and from my experience of playing both of the games i found my experience playing zelda 2 to be a much more enjoyable one than zelda 1 actually um and uh i guess it all has to do with like what my own ideas of what it means to go on an adventure is Mm -hmm. um like i find zelda one in the sense of like you know the princess has been captured like from the plot scraps that you're given they're not really they're um (laughs) like the idea has been yeah no like i find that and then you're just dumped into the world and you have to go around um like I find that not as compelling as what Zelda Two presents to you. Like in the opening like minute of Zelda Two, even if you don't read the manual, well, no, it's kind of important that you read the manual. But like, you jump into <laughs> Zelda Two and you're in a temple with a girl on an altar, and she looks kind of dead or whatever. But the actual plot thing is that it's Zelda. She's been put to sleep by Ganon. Da 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 da. Um, and like. I find Zelda 2's, not necessarily world, but like just what is there to be a lot more compelling. And I find the gameplay to be a lot more challenging and a lot more compelling because it's more focused on that sword play and all of that. Just, I, it compels me more than the just the straight top-down exploration of the first Zelda. Um important note to make before i keep going i have not completed either of these games um (laughs) for zelda one that is because in order to complete zelda one you need a to be a precognizant omnipresent god of deduction to know that you have to burn some random bush with the lantern in order to access a dungeon or whatever um like i I want to say when we mention all the while this is going on, you have, uh, and for our audio listeners, hope you're entertained. You have a Zelda one 
Oh yeah, yeah. The I've poster got the in the Zelda back while you're just here. dissing it compared to <laughs> Zelda two. No, it's not <laughs> right that I, in front I, of its listen, face. Listen, I do enjoy Zelda one. I didn't mean to make this out to be like I hate the original Zelda one, but I I find. <laughs> its gameplay structure to be a lot more frustrating at times, which some people find it, will find absolutely hilarious because a lot of people find Zelda 2 to be really frustrating. Um, but like for Zelda 1, like I get that the point is it's more about the exploration and finding the dungeons and going around, finding the items, doing all that, ma- making hand-drawn maps of the world. I get that that's like the point. And that can compel me but there's not much more to it beyond that like the combat of zelda one is kind of clunky i don't know it's Mm -hmm. it's something that i could never get used to in like the amount of time that i sunk into it and i sunk a decent chunk of time i think i got somewhere to like the fifth or sixth dungeon before i just kind of stopped playing it just because whenever i thought to play something i didn't feel like playing it yeah um because it is it's kind of unforgiving in a way which isn't necessarily bad game design but you know when you have when you're exploring a dungeon or like this is the one thing that i remember very vividly about zelda one is that if you're exploring a dungeon and you die in that dungeon, you get sent back to the beginning of the dungeon when you continue with only three hearts, regardless of how much max health you have. And that was endlessly frustrating for my playthrough because, you know, you would enter a dungeon at full hearts, not know what's going on, start, like, making a mental map of the dungeon, getting the structure, and then if you were to die during this exploration phase, then suddenly you're put at a huge deficit. Like you can have almost max health and you still get placed at the beginning with three I mean, hearts. That is how like those initial franchise games were they were ruthless. There weren't checkpoints, well, yeah. there weren't like there was a lot of pain and suffering and you either did it in one shot flawlessly. I mean heart uh, the, the the conceived True. the preconceived notion of hardcore mode in games now was default. <laughs> on the nes no true no 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 and i listen i enjoy me a good nes game i fucking love <laughs> Mega Man 2 um yes. ninja gaiden i played that one recently uh not the way you're supposed to play it because i used <laughs> uh the you know the weird streaming service thing that nintendo has and use oh, the God. rewind function whenever i got frustrated but um the challenge that was presented was still a fun one. Like that's not, I, I adore these older games, but what's up? Do you, do you think, I mean, I I would assume it's safe to say that that is very much a preference thing. And because like for me, I think I immediately. So, okay, let me start talking about Zelda two. So I made, I want to make the distinction. I do not hate Zelda 1, I actually enjoy Zelda 1. I enjoy Zelda 2 more because the challenge that it proposes and brings forward is one that is more compelling to me. The structure of the game where it's like the the fundamental structure of Zelda 2 basically boils down to go to a village, talk to people, figure out what you're supposed to do um, and then go do that thing and that thing will either give you an item or it will open up the way 
so that you can find a temple, go into the temple, explore the temple, beat the boss of the temple, rinse and repeat. Um, and it's a lot more of a... People say that it has more RPG elements, I suppose. Um, and th- that's very true. There's leveling up and, you know, all of that jazz. Yeah. But I think that, like... Let's... Like, consider what the structure of a puzzle is for both of these games. For Zelda 1, a puzzle very much boils down to, like, there is a hidden wall that you need to bomb. And there might be an old man hidden in some cave that tells you where you need to bomb. Um, It'll usually be a very short and cryptic hint because he only has, like, two lines in order to tell you where you need to go. You go, bomb the wall, ta-da, you've done it. And that is not nearly compelling to me as being granted. It's still sort of the same structure as, you know, go into a village, talk to a villager. This villager happens to tell you something in a sort of cryptic manner um, about where you need to go. But just something, I don't know, the way, like, they'll tell you something and then instead of just going and bombing a wall and that's it, you'll go to like a cave and you'll find something or you'll like talk to they'll reference that you need to talk to some specific person in the village and granted they all kind of look the same and are different (laughs) difficult to differentiate but you need to talk to the red girl with a bowl on her head and not the green girl with the bowl on her head because that's the mayor's daughter and you go down there and he has a (laughs) wizard in the basement and he teaches you how to change your clothes color from green to red (laughs) which for some reason makes it so that you take half (laughs) damage so yeah i don't know but i think that fundamentally the difference yeah the difference between zelda 1 and zelda 2 that i find much better is i like how zelda 2 places a lot more emphasis on the sword combat it's still jank um, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like Zelda 2 is the best NES game ever. There are other NES games that do sword combat so much better. But like, mm-hmm. just that, I like how Zelda 2, I feel like I have a lot more control over what's happening in the combat in Zelda 2 than Zelda 1. Zelda 1, you just stab a sword, you can throw a boomerang, you can drop bombs. Um, with Zelda two you can there's a lot more emphasis placed on the sword obviously and not so much on items but like just that that emphasis placed on your sword capabilities is a lot more compelling to me in a game i guess gotcha so yeah i don't hate zelda one please don't Mm -hmm. crucify me for that (laughs) point but (laughs) well i i the reason so i asked about the preference thing because for me i just I grew up like the old games that I played were side scrollers and mm-hmm. they were more that RPG style. So I think of the games as two completely different games because yeah, they are so different and oh, I yeah. just like, I fair. don't like top down Zelda. I don't enjoy <laughs> it. I'm, I'm going to be completely frank. I don't find it fun. It's limited. Really? I don't like top down games in a lot of sense. That's why I'm so surprised fair I play enough. Isaac so much. Um, And see, like I, I'm not, I'm not that way. I do enjoy me a good top-down Zelda. I love playing Minish Cap. I I, I don't love so I don't love Link to the Past as much just because hmm. I, I don't know, it doesn't interest me that much, but I do enjoy playing that. But I don't know, like top-down Zelda isn't the problem. I think it is a preference thing where I just enjoy the side-scrolling combat 
yeah. more than that. And I would love to see somebody go out and make like a modernized Zelda two using that structure. And that'd be cool. That would be really cool. I'd be <laughs> interested in, I should try them because like also though I, I in Zelda games, I don't like using the sword. I like using everything oh. but the sword. If you've seen me play Breath of the Wild, I use the boomerangs like a motherfucker. Like really? I, yeah, I love. You don't perfect parry and perfect dodge and all that. That's what I love. I mean, I Breath do because you have to half the time. But whenever I can use a trident or a boomerang, a good or Lionel fight, a mag, a uh, status into a rock smash and just shoving a rock really? down somebody's face, You're like a crafty I, boy. Uh, yeah, I like the weird stuff. And I did an Ocarina of Time, too, which is really difficult to be crafty in that game. That's um, true. I love it in Skyrim Ocarina sword. of Time was also another game that placed a lot of emphasis on that sword combat and the yeah. the flow between enemy and player. And so you might not enjoy but also the combat to, of Zelda 2 at all. Yeah, I might not. Like, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Because that's stuff where, like, you have to feel it and you have to play it to know. True. So... Yeah, but yeah. I don't think that's. I want to say a lot of the hate towards Zelda Two comes from the people that play those games are typically people that have heavy emphases on nostalgia, and so if you get if you start to go far enough back, you're going to start to have impacts on nostalgia and simply things that are older and classic and hit more of your childhood are going to be better, whether or not the game is actually better because of nostalgia, which brings. And I think that part of the reason why that precedent has been set is that uh, the direction that Zelda ended up going in was much more of one influenced by Zelda 1 rather than Zelda 2. It placed a lot more on overworld exploration with Link to the Past um, rather than... Because there's overworld exploration in Zelda 2. There's like things to find and secrets to make... like to incorporate and to become more powerful, but... Uh, a lot more emphasis is placed on that combat uh, and the the sword stuff. Um, like, yeah. Yeah. Well, also, I mean, we we hardly got any more side-scrollers. Well, like, top-down, too. True. I mean, there's a lot of aspects to certain Does elements of gameplay. worlds count? <laughs> I don't... Do you get uh, that joke? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I do. Between Worlds is the one where you can merge yep, into a wall. Merge into the and wall, it, and so yep. it's like a side scroller for like thirty seconds per dungeon. Um, yep. no. Oh, <laughs> no! You should play Link Between Worlds because they use the mechanic quite a bit more than thirty seconds per dungeon. I well, I, I watched if I remember correctly, the final the boss like requires you to use that power up. I, like I it's not a one and done the first thing. Half of the game, and so in the first half, you they watched were like, Game Grumps, didn't you? got you i got (laughs) listen i would have watched the whole thing but it was dan playing and he's so slow and like i love him but (laughs) god damn man like learn how to play the fucking game neither i love you dan avidon if you ever see me i if you ever see this i am infatuated by you anyways nostalgia that brings me to my movie hot take movie franchises need to fucking burn The idea of a movie franchise is the worst thing for cinema. It's the worst thing for movie producers. It's the worst thing for understanding how to evoke emotion. Marvel sort of kind of did it right because they got lucky. I don't like franchises. You all allow one fucking sequel. Maybe certain certain trilogy trilogies. Because I think that 
the trilogy structure to plot stuff is rather eloquent. So I think elegant, the trilogy plot plot structure is good if it's not necessary. I think if they make a really good what? movie <laughs> that leaves on okay, so like think of Inception. Oh, have you okay. ever seen Inception? Yes, that's not a trilogy. I um, know, I know, I know. Hear hear me out. Hear me out. Fantastic okay. movie by itself leaves on enough yes. of a cliffhanger that if they ever made another inception and it was just as good but fulfilled the questions nobody would care everybody would love it they'd be okay with the fact that they didn't leave it as just one but also just leaving it i mean obviously people are gonna everybody hates everything all the time they find yeah, ways yeah but i feel like I, it would be, i would prefer inception to be a standalone film because i like the questions being answered i um, wouldn't i like the questions <laughs> but right, I, going, I like there's there's good standalone movies that don't need sequels but are definitely could be supported well by sequels up to a trilogy i don't think you should do any more than a trilogy because movies are turning into shows and just with the way that companies production companies are set up um oh what's the name for like like what is warner bros like what's that called that's warner brothers yeah but like what kind of a like company is that production company i think i guess that's the best term i can think of for it the way that they're set up is not to handle bulk movies following the same trope also if you're trying to have movies that take place over five years but the creation of them takes place over 15 years people's views change a lot producers intentions for certain characters might change unintentionally and they don't realize it it's problematic it ruins the format of good one-hit movies Marvel did it so well, but they were stretched so thin near the end, and now they don't know how to group back to having a single movie be good. The movies are only good because of the large impact of them all being tied together. You can't take one of the single movies and take it out, and it's still a good movie. And the reason I want to say this is Star Wars. The the only re- a lot of franchises <laughs> back to a Star lot Wars. of franchises Sorry. are only good because of nostalgia. And the first couple, this is this is the really hot take. The first couple movies are typically not actually that good. They're only good because of nostalgia. Now, like for example, Mm. take the first Marvel movies: Iron Man, The Incredible Hulk. If you go back, they're good movies. They are. I'll give them credit that they're good movies. But like some of those earlier Marvel movies, especially the first Captain America. First Captain America. What was I fucking love the? What are you on? Yeah, you loved it because when it came out, it was the best superhero movie of all time. Now we've got much better superhero. I love movies. it because it has good music. Okay, I can't argue <laughs> don't know either. what to do. It with has that, do great you? music, <laughs> but like a lot of parts of the movie are really silly, weird comic book shit that's really cringy. Now that we've had much better comic book movies. I love that. But at the time, it was the best thing. And now we just have so much nostalgia around it because it did such a good job of launching the MCU and working with Iron Man to build up that stuff that now we, like, love it. Um, Going back to Star Wars, looking at the old Star Wars movies, from, like, the layout of the movie, fantastic. Like, the the movie, if you took the sci-fi out of the original Star Wars trilogy, it would still be a great movie. That's why it's better... That's literally because it follows the hero's journey, but yes. You know. <laughs> but that's that's why I prefer them over talking the new about ones tropes. Is because the new ones are all the new ones are all sci-fi. It's great effects, great lightsaber fights, all that stuff, but it's all sci-fi. 
if you take the sci-fi out, you're left with yeah. nothing decent. The old ones, if you take the sci-fi out, you're left with something decent. But also, if you go back and watch the old ones, like you really do, some of the dialogue is so painfully bad. The effects are so painfully bad and all this stuff. Now, it's because it was made in the fucking, like, what, 70s, 80s? It was, it Does was that the make retro best, games bad? It, it was the best for its time. <laughs> retro games aren't bad because retro games aren't trying to look realistic. They're trying to look like retro games. If you make pixel okay. art stuff that's trying to look realistic, it is bad, even if it was the best for its time. Retro games weren't trying to look realistic. They were trying to look... I mean, they they were pixel. They were so far from it. Star we'll, Wars was we'll trying to look realistic away. with its sci-fi stuff, even though they had nothing to make actual good sci-fi. And the dialogue was cringy because sci-fi movie dialogue was so new at that point. The lighting was really awkward on some scenes. The lighting design and production for lighting was really bad. Like, if you go and watch it, it's bad but it's just the foundation for such a good franchise that we've all grown in love and so a lot of these movies that are like based off these franchises aren't good it's just nostalgia is a hell of a drug well well you made the point about the narratives like do you think that the narrative there's like nothing there's nothing you said that there was something there for the narratives like do the how big of a role do the narratives narratives play in making a good film the narratives is good. When I say take the sci-fi out of it, I, it would and it would be a good movie. I also assume that by taking the sci-fi out, you've taken out the weird scenes where they didn't have the capability of having proper lighting because of sci-fi elements. So the lighting would be a little bit better fixed, like a proper drama of the time. I imagine you take out these weird scenarios where they have to have the whole that's no moon dialogue was the stupidest line in like all of star wars i'm sorry that was so dumb that's no moon as this like clearly toy figurine is zooming in on this camera with a border around it like it's so bad it's so bad it's all about suspension of disbelief it's like how like if you just disregard i not disregard but like if you can get past how it looks like it'll look not look, but it'll. So if I can ignore the visuals of a visual form of media, then it will be good. (laughs) It's not entirely visual. It's also got writing put into it and true. And the writing was music. The music was fantastic. The music was so good. (laughs) Oh my God. The music was amazing. (laughs) Still to this oh, day, gosh. I will unironically listen to the Star Wars soundtrack. Like, Heck yeah. <laughs> you ever no. like go on your uh, go on the road to confront a bully, and you're playing the Darth Vader theme, and you're just like, "Oh my god, I can take down anybody." <laughs> yeah, me neither. But like, that seems like an epic. St- <laughs> Very nice. No, yeah, yeah. No, I well, I don't fully agree because I do think that there are like you've just admitted there are aspects of merit to the star wars films it's not yes just nostalgia that has kept them within the public consciousness but i do agree that there are certainly weaknesses that the film have that are typically overlooked because of the cultural relevance that it has within our public consciousness yeah uh and it's it's all nostalgia is one hell of a drug uh, yeah 
And it's all a, it's best for its time. I feel the same way about music. If you ever talk to me about music, I'm not a fan of the Beatles. I don't like the Beatles because all of their stuff is very simplistic. It sounds that I've heard millions of times over because they were the foundation for everything. A lot of the things that oh. the Beatles did is used in today's music. So granted, yeah. were the Beatles probably the most profound musical artist of all time? Yes, I would 100% say that. They paved the way for everything, in my mind, of modern music. They were unreal See, like, what they did. But when, it's been done so much better in so many times now that mm-hmm. I wouldn't choose to listen to it over something now because it's simply not better. See, and when you talk about Beatles, I make a mental distinction with Beatles because there are two different Beatles in my mind. There's the popular music Beatles where they have all their songs that are like well-known and all that. And then there's the cracked out on LSD Beatles where they write weird ass songs with yes. really weird structures that don't make sense to the me. The cracked out on LSD like, Beatles are pretty fucking swanky. Those are pretty cool. <laughs> it's the same I, thing I with Queen. I, it. I, I dislike most of Queen's stuff because like I've heard it thousands of times and I've had to listen to so many band kids telling me this is the greatest thing ever. And so it's just is annoying this music and repetitive. Take no, this, this isn't. This is just me ranting you, okay, now. Okay. Uh, it's just boring and repetitive. But then you listen to like the songs that, that like never got played in the band room, and like mm-hmm. Queen is some really cool shit. That's awesome yeah. when you haven't heard it twenty thousand times and have to hear about how it's the best thing ever and all this jazz from somebody who doesn't yeah. know. Overexposure how to play a can really make people hate things. But yes, either way, I I think I get where you're coming with the th- with the movie point and. It's interesting that you bring up like narrative versus other aspects of the films because that was more or less what I was going to talk about because um, I was going to talk about uh, my particular movie thing, which has to do with Toy Story 3. Um, and I told you a little bit about this and then you said, uh, please stop telling me about this because it sounds <laughs> interesting. I didn't know that it was going to be related to what you're talking about. Toy Story 3 has, I didn't even realize it would until I went, off the rails of what actually yeah because sequels and trilogies <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> like, here let me let me let me get off what i'm gonna say before you well i'm, I'm you just gonna your... warn you toy story 3 was one of the most impactful movies of my life of my early it childhood was for me and okay that's there, here's a point so uh, when it comes to toy story 3 and that emotional impact and all of that i think that toy story 3 is a phenomenal film when it comes to narrative narrative and plot like you talk about the structure of a trilogy toy story one both toy story one and toy story two can stand on their own as just standalone films yes and i feel like toy story three toy story three's narrative is very much in service of what the story has to conclude with like Mm -hmm. there's nothing else that can really there there's not exactly another story that can be told there they are eventually going to be forgotten about and well, not forgotten about, but, you know, not it, it, useful in the way that they were. It's a good ending. It's a... Yes. It's what had to be. But I I don't think that Toy Story... Like, aside from that narrative, and I don't think that Toy Story 3 is that great of a film. Um, And I think that it's part of Pixar's sort of downfall from creating, like, oh, these are the some of the greatest films of all time, because... Like after Toy Story three, they released Cars two, um, <laughs> which is commonly heralded oh. as you know. And then they released Brave, which I don't remember a lot about Brave. I do I remember like Brave. It. I know I loved Brave. If you could so change much. a fate, Brave was Pixar. Would you? 
Yeah, Brave was Pixar. Yo, I thought that was Disney. Apparently. I thought it was Disney too, but it's apparently Pixar. Mm. Um, I think it's just the princess thing messes me up. The and then they released hatching. Monsters University, which is not a bad film. I liked that one. <laughs> I like it too. No, that's exactly. I like that one too. It's got a great message. It's a but very, it's definitely not like, as good as the OG Pixar's. I'll give you that. Oh yeah, no, fucking up. Are you kidding me? Like you put it oh. next to Up, Wally. Like no, and Wally then Inside is Out is the reason I'm the environmentalist that I am. <laughs> no kidding. Oh, that film. Oh, dude, it horrified watched... me. Yeah. Yeah. You, you didn't want to become a blob on a levitating chair on a ship. It scared me so much. <laughs> Everything about that just... God, I never wanted to like throw away a piece of paper ever again after watching mm-hmm. that movie. No, yeah. No, but like that dominance that Pixar had and then following it up with Toy Story 3, which has that huge emotional impact. I, But when it comes to what happens in the film, like just like the whole daycare plot and all of that, it's very much in service of the overarching narrative that it has to tell. It has to show like toys that have been abandoned by their owners and all of that and to fuel where the plot is going. But in terms of what actually happens there and things like that, it's not that memorable. It's not. Yeah. Like it's the escape plot is kind of eh. Like, yeah, they're they're escaping. That's an important thing because they have to realize the error in their ways. But what happens during the escape, I couldn't fucking tell you. I couldn't tell Every... you how they escaped from the daycare. Exactly. <laughs> like... Every single scene in Toy Story 2 and Toy Story 1 served a purpose, was notable, was yeah. exceptional in some form or fashion, and played into the character's role. They had like three key points that they had to hit for the overall arching narrative of Toy Story 3, and they hit them, but everything in between was just filler. Yeah, like the Woody ending up with Bonnie like during that. It's not inconceivable. We talked about suspension of disbelief a little bit, but like, I don't know. It it feels a little bit like hand of the writer, just a little bit, just a smidge. And that smidge is enough to make me not, it doesn't take away from Toy Story 3. I don't want to make this sound like Toy Story 3 is a film that I don't enjoy because I do very much enjoy that film. It makes me cry. It mm-hmm. still makes me cry. Same. It's just <laughs> like, it's just when considering it, if you considered it as a standalone film, it cannot exist as a standalone film. It has to exist as a consequence of toy story one and toy story yeah. two. Like I can see toys. I can even see toy story two being a standalone film. Like, Oh yeah. Without. Yeah. But Toy Story 3's emotional weight and what it does can really only happen uh, because it is a logical consequence of those original films. And that's kind of... So I, I have two things. First is like, I it just hit me at a great... When I saw it was when physics... We, we went to see it as a family the week mm-hmm. that physics left for college. And I, oh. in my childhood, never lived with any of my siblings other than my two sisters for any extended period of time. Most of my brothers were mm-hmm. out of the house. So this was the first time that somebody I was really close to and that I lived with was leaving. And I thought I'd like never see her again. Like I didn't know how college worked. She was leaving to oh, Seattle. Gosh. I thought I'd like never. So it. Oh, so that's going to hard. Yeah. But also there's even with all of that weight and the fact that I do cry every time, there's something about it where I'm just like, eh. 
And I never really understood yeah. it until you said that. It makes complete sense. Yeah, like, it's, I, I don't know, like, it's remarkable to me how a film can exist. Like, I suppose it just goes to show that no, no sequels can really exist in a vacuum. Well, yeah, that goes to antithetical to what I just said about Toy Story 2 maybe existing as a standalone film. But, like, I, a lot of that power that Toy Story 3 and comes from its narrative that it shares with the original films. And so... I, I, I want to draw a parallel here between the proper type of because i like pixar's sequels most of the time Mm -hmm. because they (laughs) understand their audience (laughs) yeah okay cars 2 is kind of a lit movie in some senses no i watched it i watched the crap out of it as a kid i'm not gonna i'm not gonna sit here and call it a crap movie it's just when you consider like where pixar what that was like the first movie that pixar released that wasn't a banger amazing Yeah, yeah it wasn't a banger so I don't know. So you could he, maybe make the argument that Bugs Life wasn't amazing. I've never no, you seen can't. Bugs Life. Oh well, then there you go. A Bugs That's Life was fantastic. That. I've never a Bugs seen Bugs Life. Bugs Life is like the epitome so. of like what the average American needs to witness right now to understand like what's happening. <laughs> like it's oh what <laughs> a Bugs Life is such a perfect representation of a suppressed group and the the group of majority, a group that's worse in one on one situations. That's what Bugs Life is about. A bug's life I is straight all about up thought that Bugs that Life sh- was just about bugs. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> all about lie. an oppressed group that's taken advantage of by people where when you take the one group of the of the elite the one member of the elites and put it up against one member of the oppressed majority, they the oppressed majority loses. But due to the sheer mass ethics and passion behind that oppressed majority, they can and should overtake the elite few who are ruining their lifestyle and threatening their existence. So I it's need to the watch Bugs French Life, Revolution, but with bugs. It's it's fantastic. <laughs> it's such a good movie. Okay, fair enough. I'll I'll put that on my list of things <laughs> it's to do. So good. No, I I think Toy Story three and I I want to. So the two reasons why I'll say Pixar does sequels right: Toy Story three and The Incredibles. Incredibles two. Really. Incredibles, they were made for the audience that the originals were made for, not the modern version of the audience that the originals were made for. Hear me out. What Incredibles was right. made for kids, obviously. Okay. It was made for millennials. It was made for millennials when they were kids, right? Late And some mm-hmm. later Gen Zers. Incredibles 2, that's not a kid's movie. You can't tell me that's a kid's movie. That is made for those millennials and Gen Zers that watched Incredibles 1. And it's made for them now in the real world seeing how life is like. And like seeing what aging is like. And working through all of that. It, it But while still also getting re-in-touched with elements of their childhood. I mean it is still a Pixar okay. film. still animated. It's yeah. not. But the target audience. It's the older people. I might need to go rewatch Incredibles 2. Because I don't remember it standing out to me as anything special when i watched it i didn't think it was like amazing but i did think it was a kind of it was the kind of the same thing as toy story 3 where i felt like it was good for the people who watched incredibles 1 to come back to this seemingly perfect family after they've now lived so much of their life after after the audience has lived so much of their life and seeing some of the family struggles some of the general life struggles some of the mundane struggles of this family um 
and just of aging in general to reassure their aging and for Pixar to kind of be like, hey, you're still here. You can still be in touch with your childlike wonder of the world with like the Incredibles aspect while acknowledging the aging difficulties. And I feel like that was kind of what Toy Story 3 was. You can't convince me that Toy Story 3 was made for the same young kids that Toy Story 1 oh, and 2 absolutely was. It was not. made no. for the adults that watched Toy Story 1 and 2 and yes. are now went through that experience or they're yeah. like and I, I that's why I like sequels and that's why a lot of Star Wars fans hate the new Star Wars is so much is because the new Star Wars is not made for the people that saw the original Star Wars. It's made for kids it's made for what the original star wars was made for the original star wars is made for kids and young people the phantom yeah i do know a lot of people i do know a lot of people that really enjoy the sequels and not so much the originals uh no i will say before we move on here to our final category of music Mm -hmm. um what do you think of toy story 4 did you ever see it i okay Okay. Toy Story 4 had me fucking crying. I thought the movie really? was pretty good. The end of it, because Toy Story 3 had such a huge impact on me. And I yeah. and knowing that the trilogy was officially over, because Toy Story 3 still had mm-hmm. like some potential. I was honestly happy with Toy Story 4 because I expected so little of it. I didn't like really? the toys being left with Bonnie. I didn't want to hear a story of Bonnie <laughs> and the toys. I didn't want... like I was mm-hmm. like, the toys belong to Andy. Once Andy's out of the picture, the fucking... It's over, right? <laughs> You know, I was really? like, okay, they get to live their life with Bonnie. I don't care that's about an, that life. That's an interesting so I was monogamous happy. argument. <laughs> I was happy with <laughs> I was happy with Toy Story 4 because it was I was expecting it to be so horrible. I don't okay. think I can talk properly on it because I saw it after a 10-hour shift, closing shift at Chick-fil-A. <laughs> it was me and my coworkers in the theater. The only other people in the theater was this group of teenagers in the very back row, and two of them were fucking. So I don't oh, think wow. I am really allowed to have a good opinion on it because of the twisted conditions with which I saw it, but I did yeah, cry. I, I can't comment on the quality of the film either because when I saw it, um, I was currently I was going through withdrawal of a medication I was on at the time. <laughs> So I was not there. I was like barely <laughs> oh hanging on to consciousness. Um, I, it was complicated. I was on a trip and I had forgotten to pack it, whatever. Um, but uh, <laughs> when, I, when I think of Toy Story 4, I, I, like I can maybe concede that it, like I'm, for me, when I think of Toy Story 3, I talked a lot about it being the narrative like through line, like, Obviously, stories don't end in the real world at a given point, except for, you know, when you die. But, um, like, just when I think of the necessity of Toy Story 4, all that really comes to mind, like, narrative-wise, is, like, what happened to Bo Peep and all of that, which mm-hmm. makes sense. Like, it, that's something that you can explore, Yes. But I feel like the relationship that Woody and the other toys have with Bonnie was already explored in Toy Story 3 and all that. So with with like the playtime sessions that they had, um, especially the final thing that they had at the end with both Andy and Bonnie. Uh, and so, I don't know. I just, yeah, Toy Story 4 doesn't do it for me. It, and that's not really a hot take, I don't feel, because I feel like most people... No, like, yeah. a lot of people think that. I 
I liked it because at the end of Toy Story 3, my brain is, we moved on, we had to move on, the toys are with Bonnie now, and that makes me sad, and I wish I could go back, but I can't because that's not how things work. Yeah. The end of Toy Story 4 gave me closure. It made me okay that we had like to move things on. are going to be okay things are going to thing. yes yes yeah. with and i think that was because with my with my sister leaving when i saw toy story 3 i was like i don't know what the fuck is going to happen she, they, he goes off to college and i imagine that everything's going to go wrong she goes off to college mm-hmm. and i imagine everything's going to go wrong i'm never going to see her again i'm going to you know and then with toy story 4 obviously all that changed she became yeah. a big part of my life. You know, we, uh, the digital age took has taken over a lot in my life and I'm able to connect with her still, even though we live across the country. And so I, in my brain with that situation, I was like, everything will be okay. And then I got to see this in Toy Story and I was like, yeah, everything's yeah. okay. After right. moving that on, everything's okay. That makes sense. I don't think it was necessary entirely as, as necessary as Toy Story <laughs> 3 was. And I think because yeah. of that though, it could stand alone better. I think there was a lot of stuff that doesn't tie into the overarching narrative, but I kind of like that because there most of the overarching narrative was already wrapped up really well in Toy Story Three. Yeah. Except for for me, that closure of does everything end okay though, and then it just kind of only wrapped up that, and that was fine. Fair enough. All right. Music. What do you got for me? TikTok saved the music industry. Oh dear God! It's gonna be one of those. All right. Um. <laughs> all right. Elaborate. I'm gonna. I'm gonna need some very. I okay. For context on how I'm going to be reacting to all this, I don't use TikTok because I find the idea of TikTok kind of dumb. So yes. you're gonna be fighting an uphill battle here <laughs> to convince I'm- me not going to be fighting any kind of battle because I'm right. And as long as I know I'm oh. right, I'm okay with that. <laughs> okay. Keep just, here's, go. just, just here's go. the dealio. Have you looked at any song produced by Ed Sheeran or any song made by Ed Sheeran or any big name pop artist, Justin Bieber, anything like that? Have you looked at any of their big hit songs in the past five years and looked yeah. at the number of people involved in them? No, I've not looked at the number of people involved in them, but I looked at a Justin Bieber song. Justin Bieber's name heavily was seventh on the list. Yeah, yeah, it's a much more collaborative industry now. There was at least forty names on the list for the one song. Holy crap! It's a collaborative industry, not in a good way though, because those forty names were also on every single song of every other artist that we like to think is different. Benny Blanco mm-hmm. does fucking everything. I looked at them. I don't know much about the music industry. I'm going to put that on the disclaimer. This is <laughs> off of like 45 minutes of research. In the same way that the movie industry is kind of scary because it's all Disney now. It's all Disney and like two other people, you know, yeah. but then also every single other independent studio has some little effect on every single movie. So it's all the same like independent people, but then it's all under the head of like the same overarching person controlling yeah. it all. Mm-hmm. The, properly produced la hollywood music industry is the same fucking thing it's all the same like five big names and then 50 random people thrown in that are all doing coke in the back room together and i see where your argument is going now i i, I see where it's going but i'll let TikTok you keep going. allowed for independent creators 
and people who their music is all themselves. If they have a record label, it's some no name fucking Ohio record label. <laughs> like it allowed those people to have a scene. And also the problem is though, is most of the time that music fucking sucks. Most of the time, oh, yeah. the individual writer, <laughs> there's a reason why the heavily produced music is the best because it, they have the resources. But what it did is it allowed the writer to get out there enough that they can collaborate with a couple of people or get those no-name record companies that they didn't know exist. The record company doesn't know that they exist, but that record company has just enough money that these people that have a bunch of talent but no resources for it can get just enough that they can... Their, their talent gets close to the heavily produced stuff, and then they can get just enough minor production that they can get up there, too. It allowed for independent content creators. Granted, it did flood the music market a bit much, and now we have a surplus of musicians in a lot of realms in a very mm-hmm. negative light. But also, I think it's good in the end because it kind of brought everything back to that, you know homebody musician who's trying to make it big the miley cyrus-esque type thing of yeah you know party party in the usa type shit where the small the creator can type make it narrative big. where a small yeah the og justin bieber type because like, I, I think the music industry was getting out of control with a collaborations but also monopolies mm-hmm. and fair enough because i think there's it, only like two or three major record labels I don't Something know the like exact that. numbers. It wouldn't surprise me if but, that's the exact numbers. And but. the thing is, is it's it's like it's like chip companies too. How like every every type of chip that you like is actually just Pepsi. Like all like if you look at like food companies, <laughs> like everything comes back to like the same six core companies oh, yeah, yeah, for yeah. everything food. Even though you have like hundreds of companies, record labels do the same thing. There's a lot of smaller record labels that are actually just secondary companies of one large record label and people don't even realize that so they think that there's a lot of variety when there's not it's all goes back to the same fucker who is like horribly mistreating every single female artist and like there's just and with obviously independent people you get less pop and more variety more cool sounds i know i made it out to seem like you were going to be fighting an uphill battle but you appealed to perhaps one of my favorite things and that is chaos. Um, I can appreciate, like, I don't appreciate TikTok for the way that it has essentially become a lot of what culture is for our generation. Um, but in the ways that TikTok is a force of chaos and unpredictability, I'm all for. Like, yeah, the fact that it can make many people that I know very predictable angers me. But I'm all for a dethroning age-old traditions just because yep. fuck it what else are we gonna do on a friday night <laughs> and and that that's the same that there are the two sides to tiktok now in the same way that it's helped with these unique sounds it's also hurt with the fact that a lot of big pop songs try to get one good bridge that will be Dude. used for a five second tiktok oh, audio and I, the rest of the song is absolute garbage but this the, song no, gets no, becomes a top billboard hit because of five of seconds the fun that is the funniest part to me like of the whole picture, the fact that there are people in these high gilded towers sipping their champagne, rubbing their buttocks with chamomile oil, <laughs> trying to figure out how to reverse engineer TikTok success, and they make something, and the sheeple actually eat it up on TikTok. That's everybody losing, and I love it. Like, I. <laughs> That is, well, that's everybody Maybe. losing, but in the end, those people who are throwing away their creative lives are still making fucking millions. So, like, True. are they really losing that poorly, though? <laughs> yeah. 
That's true. I guess, I guess it depends on the type of co- creator. I mean, I know the some type of success you want, but if they're making millions, they're not considered. They're not concerned with creative success. I'll be exactly. Let's let's be honest. They're not out there making incredible pieces of art that are going to be consumed for ages to come. No, they're there to make money, which is a sad reality that we live in. Because, granted, I'm not that involved in the music scene. Um, but I just like, I can't even, I can't list a lot of pop songs from like the last 10 years. And I'm sure that that's what the trend is. Like if you go back years and years and years to the eighties, nineties, seventies, you'll find that there are a bunch of songs that might've even had a ton of radio play, but have just been lost because they're like things of the time. Yeah. And yet there are songs that will continue to live on through the cultural decades just because something (laughs) whether they define something new or they just define the era so quintessentially that they're just tied to that yeah (laughs) it's i don't know i think there's there's positives and negatives but i would take the positives that tiktok gave in lieu of the negatives well not i would take them with the negatives as opposed to not having that like i think it's worth it i think it's a fair trade i'll take a few okay i'll take maybe like now three of ed sheeran's songs instead of the entire song being basic the song has like <laughs> one banger fucking half of a chorus and then the rest of its ass I'll, on each <laughs> album like i'll take that in exchange for it now i get these random dudes out of minnesota and nebraska and fucking louisiana <laughs> just releasing bangers i'll take that for seb the uh seb the original i need that dude's ep to drop lp whatever it is <laughs> nice. like there's uh, so yeah, much I don't beautiful creative music talent terminology kind of come out of that has come out of these weird niche tiktok artists and it's i think it's totally worth it yeah fair enough yeah i'm all for it because you know eventually there'll be the next big thing yeah uh hopefully it's a way of yeah getting things out i feel like it's kind of the similar thing of what like the pandemic and twitch and youtube did where like Mm -hmm. you had uh, eventually you know you had these people growing on youtube and eventually the common video out outlet which was cable broadcasts started looking to these people and these people with Mm -hmm. their like i mean when the pandemic hit you had jimmy kimmel and all these guys reaching out to twitch streamers being like hey how do you do this stuff how do you do this genuinely yeah i mean like i didn't know that like gus johnson has talked about a lot like some of his impact in being able to get into the broadcasting scene because they need to do more remote stuff they need to do quicker cheaper sketches they don't they can't afford to spend the money that they're spending on production and with COVID and everything. And so they need to learn how to make these cheaper, quicker, but still very substantial things. And they're turning to the YouTube and internet format because that's kind of taking over. And so not only do these, these smaller artists become the next big thing, they define the next big thing. Cause like the small artists that I watch on TikTok, I don't want them to get roped into the major record labels and become the next Ed Sheeran. (laughs) I want them to define what the next Ed Sheeran is, you know? Okay. Yeah, no, that makes sense. My hot take is sort of similar. At least it's more about celebrity culture, I suppose, rather than the industry at large. Um, And I'll just start this sort of hot take thing with just, well, I don't know, a critique of celebrity culture might not necessarily be a 
hot take, but I'm going to say it anyway. So I'll just <laughs> open it with where like the exigence of this idea came from as a hot take. Um, I don't understand what makes Billie Eilish special. Um, and then this, this argue, why are you backing away? <laughs> For the audio listeners out there, he is currently backing very much away. Um, I've uh, reached foam that it prevents my teeth <laughs> from moving back any further. So instead I'm going to slowly turn around in a disgusted okay. manner. Okay. No, and that's my entry point. But the the broader whole of what I mean to say is that I don't understand what's special about most celebrities. There are exceptions to these rules, and I very much find those exceptions to be exceptionally fascinating. But when it comes to artists, the one that I that is apparently the hot take for Max, um, like for Billie Eilish, I don't get what the appeal is. Because from Do you mean what in terms I, of her music or her as a person? Both a little bit. Um, because when I listen to her music and also pay attention to like what she does outside of her music, I very much see someone that I would that I could have gone to high school with and that is what makes it not like not special for me cuz like I and see her exactly and I see why cuz it's really? high school anytime I hated Billie Eilish in high school I couldn't stand her in high school because she reminded me of the people at our high school that want to be her are close to the surface level things of what she represents but they do it all wrong and she does it right how does she do it right cuz that's that's I think that's the part that I don't get so there's a defining feature in a lot of powerful women that I love and it's this take advantage of incel fucking men who are fucking morons. Use your <laughs> use your your feminine features to milk whatever the fuck you can out of dumbass women and use or dumbass men and use your impact. Like it's so fucking fun. Like <laughs> I, I <laughs> and You've she, lost me, but keep going. <laughs> um She she does that. She I don't know. She kind of has this like looking at what she's done in the industry in terms of like the I mean, women in the industry get treated horribly by record labels. That's and that kind true. Of stuff. I won't argue and that she that's not true. A very, very smart woman. And also her brother, Phineas, is also very, very smart. And he is a heavy supporter for what she does and backs a lot of what she does and helps guide her through a lot of stuff. And so they both have kind of fucked with a lot of people in the industry. Um, who like to take advantage of women in the industry thinking that they're all morons and they don't, and she doesn't fucking stand for it. She also, she's an advocate for the, I'm not wrong because I struggle with mental illness type thing. She, which for a long time, it's hard to get mainstream artists like I know a lot of depressing music and so I don't feel like I need Billie Eilish because I need representation of being mentally ill and that kind of stuff because I know these weird ass fucking bands that nobody listens to it's hard to find that in pop music though you think of a lot of the common pop music that came out before her and a lot of it was like either it was either soft 
feminine sadness. Like I want to say like Taylor Swift kind of stuff, like typical okay. love story vibes, sadness, or it was like really happy vibes or it was men. I feel like you made some Taylor Swift fans angry. Oh yeah. I don't like Cause Taylor I don't Swift. think that that's, yeah, no, I, I don't know. I don't like that. Either, but I'm fairly certain card that... way too much. She's a little bit too crazy to always be the victim. Like okay. definitely sometimes I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. If the yeah, same problem keeps happening over and over again, I think <laughs> you need to start looking in the mirror a little bit. Okay. Um, but, but, but Billie Eilish very much was villain origin. She wasn't, oh, I have these problems. Pity me. She was, I have these problems as a result of shitty people in society. And I'm going to make it their problem now because they're treating me poorly which was something that a lot of women needed. Uh, now, granted, the women that we went to high school with, the women and men, I knew a lot of men who were into Billie Eilish too. <laughs> a lot of them that we went to high school with were awful. And they like they were the people yeah. who liked to pretend that they had problems when they really didn't, and they just wanted an excuse to bitch at people. Think, they wanted yeah. to like be super... They wanted to be her, and be, but they didn't have her problems. So then they made her problems so that they could make their fake problems problems for everybody else which isn't fair it is fair for the people who are being mistreated by society though to back the power and villain origin-esque of Billie Eilish and make the problems that society is making for them society's problems all right I I don't know this is I I think that my main sort of thing like I think I understand where you're going I think that I mentioned that it was just a celebrity culture thing. And I think that when it comes down to like just people getting into that position of being in positions of power, something in my brain just stops listening, I guess. I don't know. Cause there's just that idea that, you know, if there's somebody above you, like, I, I don't know. It's. I very much like to think that we all have even footing when it comes to basic, like, like we all kind of think the same way in a sense. We're all just bundles of neurons that are wired in different <laughs> ways, but yeah, where we we have different ways of processing things. We have different outputs for certain for the same input, but. Like, I don't know. I just, whenever I think of people that are like inherently well off or just, you know, something like that, I just don't listen to that because success is a lot more luck based than people give credit for. Yeah. I feel so like. I give no doubts to what you're saying about Billie Eilish, and I'm sure that there's there's tons of things that I'm not even remotely aware of about that. But the fact that she is in the position that she's in, and that it's likely she ended up there probably just because of blind luck makes mm-hmm. me really sad, um, and puts me right back in the area of like I don't get the appeal. Like if if people like this can only get voices through blind luck and things like that, I'm shrugging for the audio viewers. (laughs) I think part of my fascination with her is the fact that, because you're right, like, okay, Olivia Rodrigo, 
I'll use her as another counterexample because a lot of people back Olivia Rodrigo for the same reason they do Billie Eilish. Mm. And Olivia Rodrigo, I feel like, fell off on supporters because she, when she started, she started small. She was her. She did her thing. Mm. She made it big and she became big. She made it big and she got swamped up in the culture. She got influenced by those people who are above her in power. If you look at Olivia Rodrigo's music now, list of 45 production people (laughs) and the same fuckers and all that jazz. If you look at Billie Eilish's stuff, it's Billie Eilish and Phineas, her brother. Mm. And... She still wears fucking oversized t-shirts and sweatpants on the red carpet. And she still makes Mm -hmm. TikToks like a fucking no name who has nothing to lose. She, on the surface, obviously, I'm I'm the same way as you. I don't trust people who have that much wealth, that much power, that much success. That will Mm -hmm. get to your head. I can't imagine it doesn't. But on the surface, to the average person who needs... What? The whatever it is, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I very much agree with that. But to the uh, to mm-hmm. to the person who needs a powerful figure that's commonly accepted by society to look at that most closely resembles them, I under I I would suggest Billie Eilish because on the surface she does seem the furthest disconnected from that. Okay. And from that environment. I, I think I see. All right. On the surface. Yeah. Obviously, I mean, every celebrity. You can read into things. You can find <laughs> things. You will find things. Everybody. That's how the culture is. And the culture is... Uh, success is ugly. Nobody gets their oh, success yeah. properly. I don't know how much I agree with luck, but I do definitely agree with ethics. I, I think that mm-hmm. there are aspects of luck in it, but I also agree with ethics, and I don't think that a single person that's ever been notably successful has done so ethically. I don't think you can. The world isn't yeah. built for that. You do it by <laughs> screwing people over. You do it by taking advantage of people who can't protect themselves. You do it in messed up ways. Everybody does. And you can you can find that if you ever try to look into any of it. On that downer note, um, <laughs> that sucks. And also... Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that that that's all I've got. Unless you had some mystery fourth hot take that you wanted to bring into here when we're about at time. <laughs> hot take, spice as I like to call them, spicy steals. Um, <laughs> Balto is the most underrated Disney movie of all time. Balto, Balto. Is this a Ligma joke? Am I going to look this up immediately? (gasps) Do you not know what Balto is? Okay, give me a second while I look up if Balto is actually a Disney movie. Balto film. Uh, It is not a Disney movie, but it's Simon Wells. So that's, you're immediately got my attention. Um, It was a Universal Pictures movie. I can't believe you've never seen seen Balto. Balto is legitimately one of my favorite movies of all time. Oh my God, next time you're in town, we're watching Balto. All right, sounds good. It's uh, so good. It's such a perfectly made movie. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, that there was we go. All right. Put that out the... of my ass. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. Um, you go ahead and, and do the outro. Yeah, so well, we can thank you, everybody, this. for watching <laughs> or listening or sorry for the note we left it on this was a little bit more of a serious <laughs> one. i'm not mad though i mean i think Oof. it was all stuff that i, I very hey. much am passionate about and mean and heck yeah there's no yeah. supervision here we do whatever the hell we want exactly we're left unsupervised. and <laughs> did you just fucking minecraft villager me 
Aww. Was that what that came through as? <laughs> that was definitely what it came through as. I, I literally started talking. I hear a... <laughs> like, fucker, what? I'm going to shut up now. I'm um, going to go. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, yeah. Be off. No. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I had something that made so much sense to say. Um, thank you for listening and thank you watching listening. if you're watching it. And if watching. Not, then I hope your ears have been pleased. Um <laughs> Hope your ears have been tingled and touched in all of the ways that you like. All right. By yeah. our lovely voices. Yeah. Uh, thank you guys Hope so you much lovely for people. once again. Yeah. I am Wild Panda. Have, and I'm Scarf. Have a beautiful rest of your day. A beautiful rest of your week. And hopefully a beautiful rest of your life. No need to one-up me. <laughs> <laughs>